My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 11. Psalm 11, the advance of faith. See, the answer of faith will always be what comes to us when we reflect what God can do, particularly when the advice that we receive from people is advice given out of a noble heart, but it's given in fear. And this is a Psalm of David to the chief musician. And I believe capital C, capital M, chief musician, that this is, whenever we see that, this is David writing a song to God, the chief musician. It's David, David's response to friends. There were friends in David's life when he was a fugitive from King Saul and they gave advice and counsel to him, but it was advice based out of fear, not out of faith. And David knew that even when friends gave him advice, that he had to look to making sure that his trust in God was above that of the faithless advice of his friends. So that's the context of this particular psalm. I think friends always mean well, but that's why the Bible is very careful about to whom we should, uh, from, from whom should we seek counsel. And friends aren't always necessarily the best people to seek counsel. They might be the great place to get empathy and sympathy and comfort, but they're not always the best place to get advice from. And and the psalmist realizes this. He goes on this journey through this psalm. Psalm 11 verse 1, in the Lord I put my trust. There you go. He's making a statement. doesn't matter whatever my friends say, in the Lord I will put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? (laughs) Saying to his friends, how can you tell me that I should just run? Because in the years before David took the throne in Israel, he literally lived the life of a fugitive fugitive that was chased by King Saul. He was constantly hunted. He ended up living in caves and writing psalms, by the way, from those caves. And you come with me to Israel and you can see some of the caves that he hid in. Uh, absolutely amazing. And when he's in danger, what do his friends say? Oh, you got to run. you got to run. you got to flee as a bird to the mountains. It, he knew that they meant well. He wasn't sure whether it was the right thing to do. So he says, I think he's almost starting this, this psalm with like he's a little bit frustrated. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? He knew that the advice they were giving him was advice based out of fear. The advice of fear couldn't stand with the same position that David had to trust in the Lord. And I think that's so many of us today and so many people that I pastor. um, 
we, we need to make sure that the people that we are seeking counsel from, advice, uh, and I think counsel is, a, is, you know, when people ask me for counsel, I ask them if they ask me for counsel or advice. And I say, if you're asking me for counsel, I'm going to go and pray about it and listen to the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to speak what I believe him to say. If you're asking for, for my advice, I'm going to use my life experience and just share out of that. And that's the difference uh, for me anyway. But I think it's important to seek counsel and advice from people who have the fruit of good decision making in their life. They have the fruit of living a life of faith and not of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, Paul wrote to Timothy, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Fear has no place in the life of a Christ follower. So that's just verse number one. Verse two, for look, he says, for look, the wicked bend their bow, their bow, I'm sorry. The wicked bend their bow. In other words, they get, they're getting ready to fire the arrow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. This is their motivation. What can the righteous do? Uh, sorry, he firstly says, if the foundations of, uh, are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is David saying, or writing, I guess you could say in modern parlance uh, of what we live in now, look, somebody's got a gun to your head. Uh, you have to run. You can't just stay there. It was ungodly advice. But that's the same ungodly advice that Peter gave to Jesus when uh, Jesus said, hey, listen, I need to go to the cross and die. And Peter says, no, that shall never happen to you. And he meant well, but he was actually being used by the devil because Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's why we have to be very careful about our advice that we give to other people because sometimes you can be used by the devil and not know it and you can be a good godly person and the devil will whisper in your ear things to say to that person out of fear, your fear. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 5 reminds us we must never be busybodies so you don't go seeking, would you like me to give you some advice in this situation? And then I think sometimes we can put too much confidence in our own perception of what's actually going on. That's what Job's friends did. Uh, I will tell you, hear me, what have I seen? I will declare. But he was wrong. Um, that's what Job's friend said to Job. It, which means you can have motives that are good and motives that are right, but the advice itself is actually wrong. So, the wicked bend their bow, make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. David's friends are trying to make him afraid of some kind of secret attack, which means they're like, listen, there's an enemy, enemy out there, you can't even see him. Whenever we start to get scared of things we can't see, then we just start walking in fear. Every every Everything that we ever do is in fear. And so... Here we have this statement, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? These words from David's friends are meant to be a warning. Um, so Guzik says this, the idea is this. The very foundation of Saul's government is destroyed. What can a righteous one like you do except run? You got There's no point. We, we all know Saul, Saul's government's destroyed. 
and David hears these words from his friends and I'm sure there was some part of his head that went, no, you're probably right. But his heart told him, don't listen to this, don't listen to this, to flee would be to compromise. So then he says at the beginning of verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is in his holy temple. Uh, David has in mind the Lord's temple, the tabernacle, the, the, the holy place, and the Lord's temple in heaven. And David's reminding himself, listen, God hasn't gone anywhere. You can go to his temple and meet with him. The Lord's not going anywhere, so why should I go anywhere? And when the advice of fear comes to us from friends, we can only get ourselves to a place of faith in God by spending time with God, which is what David did. When you think about your problems and you think about what's consuming you, then the advice of fear can just overwhelm you and just set you off, put you over the edge. But when you pray about your problems and you spend time with God, the answer of faith reassures your heart. This is what the psalmist was learning. The Lord's throne is in heaven. That's the source of David's confidence. It's not him being foolish. It's not him being unwise. It's not him relying upon himself. David has a confidence in a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God. Guzik, David was asked by his friends, what can the righteous do? And David answered with another question, what can't the righteous do when the Lord God is still on his throne? I love that. That's great perspective. So the second half of verse 4. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. I love that. This this imagery is quite amazing. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. David doesn't need to take the advice of fear from his friends because God already has seen his situation and David has a greater cause than just taking care of himself because he knows that God is going to take care of him. And he says, listen, the Lord tests the righteous. David's answering this question now himself. And if all the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? David's answer, the righteous can know that the Lord is testing them. They can know that. And because God loves them and is testing them, they can know that they'll never be pushed too far and they'll never be forsaken. And the righteous can know that God is in control. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. God God doesn't see what's going on in our lives or in the world that's wicked and and looks at it as some kind of uh, detached observer, Guzik puts it. He cares. He sees the wicked. He hates them. David's saying, I don't need to flee to protect myself. God's in heaven watching me. He sees how, how, how sinful the conduct of my enemies is. It's not up to me to worry about it. Verse 6. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Boom. Yeah. God's going to punish the wicked. David had this great sense here, a wonderful sense of confidence in, in the middle of advice that was fear-based from his friends. And if the ungodly persecute the righteous, those right with God, then how much more will the righteous God persecute the ungodly? And he's going to do that with fire and brimstone in the ultimate eternal judgment. 
So if these people are destined for hell because of the way that they carry on, why does David have to worry about them? This shall be the portion of their cup. This is very important language because the image of the cup as the container of judgment reminds us of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if it is possible, Matthew 26, let this cup pass from me, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's righteous judgment. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Jesus said. It was a dreaded cup to drink, but Jesus was the only one that could drink it and take on the sin of all mankind. It was wrath that we deserve. Jesus took it on himself. Jesus drank the cup. And this is David introducing us to the concept of what that actually means. And the fact that there is a cup that needs to be drunk from, who's going to do it? Uh, Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness and his countenance beholds the upright. This is great encouragement to David. It brings him a lot of comfort. When, when we are rebelling against God, his righteousness is of no comfort to us whatsoever. But David knew that he was the innocent victim here. And he knew the righteous God would actually take up his cause because he wasn't doing anything wrong. And he says, God loves righteousness. David knew that as he walked rightly with God, he would keep himself in the love of God. It's not about earning God's love by being personally right with him. It's the pursuit of being right with him allows us to keep flowing in the benefits of God's love. God's love is everywhere. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He loved us while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8. But we can deny ourselves the benefits of God's love by not living rightly with him. Guzik said this, people who don't keep themselves in the love of God end up living as if they are on the dark side of the moon. The sun is always out there, always shining, but they are never in a position to receive the light or the warmth of the sun. They are like the prodigal son of Luke 15, who was always loved by the father, but for a time time, did he not benefit from that love. See, the prodigal son didn't benefit from love of the Father while he was away from the Father. When he was with the Father, he benefited benefited from the love of the Father. And then so here we got David here, finishes up, his countenance beholds the upright. Um, Now, you can look at this two ways. God's upright people see him or God sees the upright. It actually doesn't matter because both are true. (laughs) Uh, God shines his face on his people. Uh, Number 626, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's people will see him. Psalm 17, the psalmist says, I will see your face in righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, for they shall see God. And the desire to see God, it's one of the greatest motivations to live right with God and to have our hearts right with him. So all in all, when David considers the greatness of God and the care of God and the vision of God, then it all outweighs the danger that he seems to be in in the present circumstance. Uh, And the safest thing for David was not to listen to his friends, but to trust God. 
His friends may or may not have meant well. We don't know their motives. We can't assign motives to them. But David was not going to receive their advice of fear. He was going to answer with faith, which leads me to my observation. How much advice have you received that made logical sense, but it just didn't sit well in your spirit? You know what that feels like. You're listening to it and you're going, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that makes sense, makes total sense. But in your heart, you're like, it's not right. Don't listen to the advice that comes from fear, but from those who answer in faith. Now, that's not about being unwise. The presence of faith is not the absence of wisdom. And conversely, the, the presence of wisdom doesn't mean the presence of fear. Well, I'm, I'm fearful, but I'm just trying to be wise. And I think those lines get blurred because people think, well, to have faith is about not being wise. No, I think we process through the wisdom of the Word of God. And if the Word of God says something, and if God has done something, then it's wise to take a stance of faith in what has happened before and in what the Word of God says. So there you go. Easy, right? (laughs) Comment below. Tell me what you think. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great day in your Word. Allow these words to seep into our hearts. I pray for everybody today who's watching this. Be with them. Give them just a wonderful confidence in what you've already done and the promises in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. so much for listening for more content please don't forget to check out my youtube channel anthony p richards have a great day